Thank you uh, for those of you that are joining us today. Uh, we'll get started in just a few minutes. Hello, everyone. Uh, I think we'll just give one more minute uh, and then get underway. All right. 
Welcome to today's Journal of Nutrition, Education, and Behavior Journal Club webinar, part of a series of 11 webinars with a focus on nutrition education programs and implications from the field. Special thank you to the SNEB Food and Nutrition Extension Education Division for helping select articles from the journal showcasing the work of cooperative extension nutrition educators. As the official peer-reviewed journal of the Society for Nutrition, Education, and Behavior, JNEB advances nutrition education and behavior-related research, practice, and policy. Before we begin, I'd like to review a few pieces of information with you. Uh, first of all, there is a link to today's presentation in the chat. We will take questions at the end of the presentation. Throughout the presentation, please type any questions you may have into the Q&A box, and they will be moderated out to our panelists. When the webinar ends today, you will be prompted to complete a short survey. Please take a moment to complete the survey as your feedback is greatly appreciated for planning future SNEB webinars. This webinar is being recorded and will be available free of charge to SNEB members in the webinar section of the website. Finally, watch for a follow-up email to be sent in the next few days, which will include a link to the recording for this session, the handouts, and your CEU certificate for your attendance today. All of that being said, I will now hand things over to our moderator, Dr. Jeb Bastian, Assistant Professor and Extension Specialist at South Dakota State University. Great, thank you, Paul, and good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'll just say, you know, I'm not with the journal itself, but I am here representing the Food and Nutrition Extension Education Division, or FNEE. Um, we're just super excited to have partnered with the journal this semester for the Journal Club. Um, there are some really fantastic articles. So if you haven't already signed up for some of the other webinars uh, later this uh, semester, I highly encourage you to do so. And while not all of the studies um, that are going to be featured in Journal Club are necessarily part of Cooperative Extension itself, we really decided to pick articles that are either working directly with interventions or have really strong implications for those field nutrition educators. So we, we just thought that all of these articles were really great, whether you're a researcher or practitioner in nutrition education. So without any further ado, let me introduce our speakers for today. So our first speaker is Dr. Acadia Bureau. She is an assistant professor at the University of New Mexico College of Population Health. She has a PhD in public health and an MS in human nutrition. Dr. Bureau's research centers on nutrition equity and health disparities. One of her ongoing studies focuses on developing culturally centered, theory-based interventions for improving the well-being of adolescents and young adults with autism spectrum disorder. Our second speaker today is Dr. Hewan Gray, who is an assistant professor at the University of South Florida. Dr. Gray's research focuses on developing and evaluating obesity prevention and nutrition education intervention programs, especially for children and adolescents. So without any further ado, I'll pass it over to Acadia, who will start uh, the presentation. Thank you, Jeb, and thank you everyone for attending today's Journal Club. This presentation will focus on a pilot study of a social cognitive theory based virtual nutrition uh, education program called BALANCE, which stands for Bringing Adolescent Learners with Autism, Nutrition and Culinary Education. 
Um, and so I'm at the University of New Mexico now, but this work was completed when I was at the University of South Florida and Dr. Gray was my doctoral mentor and faculty advisor at the time. This presentation will cover the following nutrition educator competencies. 8.2, determine the behavior change goals of the program. 8.4, select the appropriate theoretical models or frameworks. And 8.6, design or select theory-based behavior change strategies or techniques that would be effective in achieving the objectives and are appropriate for diverse audiences. Neither of us have any conflicts of interest related to this presentation to disclose. And here is funding information for the study. And now Dr. Gray will provide background information on autism, obesity, and dietary behaviors. Thank you. So I'll start with some background information on autism spectrum disorder and particular eating problems associated with autism. So autism spectrum disorder or ASD is a developmental disability with persistent impairments in social interaction, communication, and or behavior. So according to CDC, one in 36 children in the US have been identified with ASD, which is a more than 300% increase since 2000. Now, people are using the term ASD interchangeably with autism spectrum condition or just autism. Next slide, please. There is an increased risk of obesity in children with autism. About 22.2% of youth with autism are obese and uh, they have up to 41% uh, greater risk of developing obesity compared to typically developing children or children without autism. This is concerning because overweight or obesity in children could uh, continue uh, as they grow older. Next slide. Some medications are known to impact children's appetite, such as steroids, uh, atypical antipsychotics or mood stabilizers. So weight gain may be inevitable for those taking these medications. So nutrition educators or nutrition intervention studies may exclude those people who are on these medications as these could confound the results. Next slide. Okay, so there are specific dietary challenges among youth with autism. For, uh, for example, food allergies, intolerances, and sensitivities, um, often accompanied by noticeable GI symptoms such as abdominal pain, uh, acid reflux, and constipation. Constipa constipation is especially very common for children with ASD, uh, up to 84% of children with ASD has um, constipation uh, symptoms. And then emerging research indicates association between autism and gut microbiota dysbiosis. And there is a very clear indications of problematic mealtime behaviors and also uh, poor dietary behaviors and poor diet quality. Next. So we collected some preliminary data in Florida to examine problematic mealtime behaviors among youth aged two to 17 and found that the majority of parents 
uh, reported that their children resist trying new foods. And all, almost all parents, 97%, uh, reported that their children avoid certain foods. And some of them, 63% uh, of children are considered as picky eaters. And these patterns persist not only during the early childhood or preschool years, it uh, continued to adolescent age. Next. The youth with autism tend to consume more juice and sweetened beverages and energy dense snacks, and they consume fewer daily servings of vegetables. And then this, uh, trend also showed in our preliminary, prelim, preliminary study. Next slide. So in our preliminary study, we also found that youth with autism consumed food with lower healthy eating index scores, indicating poor dietary habit or poor um, diet quality compared to enhanced data. So uh, that includes whole fruit, total vegetables, dairy, total protein foods, and seafood and plant protein compared to national data. And then when we analyze data based on the food processing categories using the NOVA classification, over 60% of the daily calories in our sample were from ultra-processed foods. Um, and when we divided the sample, uh, to two different groups, picky eaters versus non-picky eaters. Picky eaters had a significantly greater percent uh, consuming the energy from ultra-processed foods compared to non-picky eaters. So now I'll hand it over to Dr. Biro, who actually led the intervention study uh, published in JNAB. Thank you so much, Dr. Gray. So as Dr. Gray mentioned, problematic eating behaviors, imbalanced nutrient intake, and unhealthy dietary patterns may contribute to unhealthy weight gain in youth with autism from infancy through adolescence and into adulthood. Um, but there are a variety of other behavioral and environmental risk factors for obesity in youth with autism to acknowledge. So youth with autism may also participate in less physical activity and more screen time. And increased screen time um, may lead to increased sedentary behavior as well as increased eating um, while engaging in screen time activities. It's 40 to 80% of individuals with autism also experience sleep problems, which may be related to duration or quality or other types of sleep issues. And the diagnostic criteria for autism also includes social and behavioral challenges. So restricted and repetitive behaviors that are characteristic of autism um, include preoccupation with restricted interests, and these are commonly related to screen time, but can also be related to meal times. And so social impairments may also contribute to increased sedentary behavior. Um, as Dr. Gray mentioned um, regarding the uh, imbalanced nutrient intake and eating behaviors, um, sensory differences and sensory challenges characteristic of autism can also play a role. And so um, related to these factors, there are a range of other environmental challenges um, that may include access and availability of foods in and outside of the home, um, comfortability and familiarity in different settings, 
And our recent work has also examined um, social ecological risk factors for obesity with in youth with autism, including family risk factors, such as adverse childhood experiences and community factors such as safe neighborhood. So there are numerous multi-level obesity risk factors for individuals with autism, um, but nutrition represents one modifiable risk factor that served as the target for our intervention. And so many existing nutrition interventions for youth with autism either aim to improve feeding difficulties or manage body weight. And those that aim to improve feeding difficulties um, have mostly been conducted in children um, on the younger side, um, mostly age eight years and younger. There's been one other recent nutrition intervention that also targeted adolescents with autism, um, but mostly, like I said, these are focused on the younger children. And then weight management interventions have been conducted in samples of youth and adolescents um, and young adults with developmental disabilities rather than autism only samples. And so these may not address autism specific issues. Um, lastly, online nutrition interventions show promise for improving nutrition knowledge, attitudes and behaviors in neurotypical or typically developing youth, but there's lack of online nutrition interventions um, for individuals with autism. Uh, and as we know, these online interventions have been especially appropriate and needed um, since the COVID-19 pandemic began. Um, this intervention was guided by social cognitive theory. Social cognitive theory is commonly used to inform nutrition education interventions. It posits that learning is social and assumes that dynamic interaction between behavioral, environmental, and cognitive factors affect our health behaviors. So again, noting that nutrition is one modifiable risk factor for unhealthy weight gain in this population, our intervention aims to improve long-term healthy eating habits and is guided by this theoretical framework. The framework is informed by social cognitive theory. Um, the constructs with asterisks were assessed by a survey, but the intervention lessons aligned with all of the social cognitive theory constructs that you see listed here on the left in the blue. The social cognitive theory constructs are embedded in the larger environmental context. Um, as behavior cannot be explained entirely by these um, social cognitive theory based constructs, the environmental context represents the broader organizational community policy level context, which is not addressed at this stage of the research. Preliminary studies for this virtual pilot that we're focusing on included qualitative work to examine intervention needs and preferences, and a school-based study um, that assessed the feasibility of the balanced intervention in a school setting. In the first study, adolescents and parents discussed the importance of social engagement, visual components, and teen-led initiatives in a nutrition intervention for adolescents and young adults with autism. So the balance intervention was developed based on these um, preliminary findings and review of the literature and then piloted in a school setting. So the picture here is from that school pilot study. Um, feedback from adolescents, teachers, and parents was integrated using a rapid cycle evaluation approach. In particular, adolescents noted that sensory components of the intervention were important and perceived benefits were related to self-efficacy, knowledge, outcome expectations, and eating habits. 
And so the purpose of this virtual pilot study was to determine the efficacy of balance, a social cognitive theory-based nutrition intervention virtually implemented for adolescents and young adults with autism. And the objectives were to examine whether dietary intake and psychosocial determinants of healthy eating changed from pre to post intervention. We also had exploratory outcomes, including physical activity and sedentary behaviors. The study used a one-group pre-test, post-test design. 27 adolescents and young adults participated in the intervention via Microsoft Teams um, between August and December 2020. And group size for the different um, the six different groups ranged from two to seven adolescents and young adults per group. Um, inclusion criteria included reported clinical diagnosis of autism and age 12 to 21 years. Exclusion criteria were um, reported below third grade reading level, eating disorder or feeding disorder diagnosis, or non-English speaking. And then English speaking parents of participated, participating adolescents were also eligible to participate um, in the different measures for the study. Um, participants were recruited through the University of South Florida Center for Autism and Related Disabilities, known as CARD, as well as other CARD centers throughout Florida. The balanced intervention included eight weekly 45-minute lessons, brief, home brief homework assignments for each of those eight lessons, weekly parent email handouts that kept parents up to date on what was discussed with their children during each lesson, and three parent webinars at baseline, after lesson four and after lesson eight. So lesson topics for the balanced intervention included exploring taste, flavor, and texture, meal times and rules, food groups and nutrients, moderation, beverages, cooking, well-being, and sustaining healthy eating habits. And on the right, you can see um, an example from the implementation manual. So for each lesson, it went through the aim, objectives, overview, any preparation required for the lesson, um, and then the activities for each of the eight lessons. Here's an example of how lesson activities were aligned with social cognitive theory constructs. So for lesson one, engaging students in an interactive discussion of taste, flavor, and textures was aligned with knowledge and self-efficacy. Having a tasting session for different foods um, with a variety of tastes and textures was aligned with self-efficacy, observational learning, outcome expectations, and normative beliefs. And then working with students to plan to overcome barriers to exploring a new taste, flavor, or texture was aligned with outcome expectations, barriers, and opportunities, and intentions. And then here's one more example here. This is from lesson six cooking. So discussing current practices for preparing food at home was aligned with self-efficacy and social support. Practicing making a healthy snack together was aligned with behavioral skills and observational learning. And then conducting a tasting session was aligned with observational learning, self-efficacy, and intentions. And then here's an example of the lesson booklet that was mailed to each participant. So this is for lesson six, cooking together. Each of the eight lessons had um, a page like you see on the left with the goal for the lesson, um, what, what was going to take place, any preparation that needed to be done before the um, participants signed on to Microsoft Teams, and then any handouts to be used during the session. So you can see on the right, 
um, the recipe that was followed during the session. And then there were also the take-home activities. Um, so basically before, during, and after um, for each lesson was included in the lesson booklet. Outcome measures for this study included psychosocial determinants of healthy eating, and these were assessed by a survey that was created by Duar and colleagues for typically developing adolescents. Um, and then diet, screen time, and physical activity were assessed by the Block Kids Food Frequency Questionnaire, or FFQ, which we had previously tested in our school-based study um, and found to yield um, high quality data compared to other methods that we also tested in the school-based study. Participants also completed a demographic questionnaire as well as the autism behavior inventory short form to assess autism symptoms. Additionally, we assessed feasibility through fidelity checklists, engagement records, and field notes. And so you can see on the right here, on the top right, is just an example from the social cognitive theory-based survey of what, um, what a question might look like. And then on the bottom, from the Block Kids FFQ. So these were all completed um, remotely online by the participants. Descriptive statistics and Wilcoxon signed rate tests were conducted to examine participant characteristics and pre-post intervention differences respectively. Participants were 12 to 20 years old. The mean was 15. All were from Florida. Most were biologically male and white. 44% were homeschooled and 78% had co-occurring ADHD and there are a variety of other co-occurring conditions reported. Almost half had household income greater than or equal to $75,000 per year. And almost all participants had high social communication skills assessed by the autism behavior inventory short form. So you would expect um, there, you know, to, there to be more of a range in social communication um, skills. So you can see here that um, this pilot study didn't quite reach those with um, less than high social communication skills measured by this um, autism behavior inventory short form. Feasibility data are reported elsewhere, but in brief, um, response rate was 93 to 100% for the different measures. Um, completion ranged 99 to 100%. And then 88 to 100% of surveys had high data quality. Um, so these are the results for psychosocial determinants of healthy eating, including behavioral strategies, situation, social support, self-efficacy, outcome expectations, outcome expectancies, and intentions. Our analysis indicated that internal consistency was acceptable to good for each scale at pre-intervention and post-intervention. And behavioral strategies, self-efficacy, and outcome expectations were significantly improved from pre to post-intervention, um, but there were no significant differences in the other four psychosocial determinants assessed um, including situation, social support, outcome expectancies, or intentions. And these are the results for dietary intake based on the Block Kids Food Frequency Questionnaire. So um, th these included energy, 
total energy, added sugar intake, total fruit intake, and total vegetable intake. Added sugar intake was found to be significantly improved from pre to post intervention, but there were no significant differences in energy, total fruit, or total vegetable intake from pre to post intervention. And then um, the Block Kids Food Frequency Questionnaire also assessed screen time and moderate activity, vigorous activity, and recreational activity. And so our exploratory analysis um, indicated that screen time did decrease from pre to post intervention, um, but there were no significant differences in moderate, vigorous, or recreational activity. And um, as I noted, the intervention was conducted during COVID in fall 2020 specifically. So the change in screen time um, could have been confounded by changing circumstances um, regarding screen time practices. Um, this study was limited by its lack of follow-up assessments, control group, and test-retest reliability. Although, as I mentioned, the food frequency questionnaire um, had previously been examined in our school-based study and was found to have high data quality compared to food records and other methods that we tested. Um, bias, including social desirability bias, may also be present. However, the balanced intervention is grounded in theory, and the framework that I showed today um, has been refined and revised based on this implementation to include additional constructs that were initially missed in um, our conceptualization. So these constructs include self-regulation, autonomy, and um, supportive social environment, which can be well explained with self-determination theory. And just a note that we did collect qualitative dat data that was not reported on here, but the findings that I discussed today were confirmed um, by the qualitative data. Um, and then changes in other psychosocial determinants of dietary intake not assessed uh, by the quantitative measures, including knowledge, were also reported by participants. And adolescents and parents further reported that they were comfortable with the virtual format and the interactive group setting. So the uh, balance intervention or the virtual implementation of the balance intervention was feasible and demonstrated promising results for some psychosocial determinants of healthy eating, as well as added sugar intake for this um, pilot study. Uh, of course, future research is needed with a control group and follow-up measures to detect long-term outcomes of the intervention. But if effective, the intervention could be disseminated in schools, homes, community programs. Um, as you saw earlier for this pilot study, 44% um, of the participants were homeschooled. So this could be disseminated in a variety of settings. Um, if future studies indicate that it is indeed effective. Um, as alluded to, future work could include a control group and follow-up measures to detect long-term outcomes of the intervention. Um, my current study at the University of New Mexico is focused on scoping the landscape in New Mexico on nutrition for adolescents and young adults with autism to better understand the context here, but um, future directions for the balanced intervention, like I said, um, involve examining effectiveness in a larger scale study.
And these are my references. Thank you for listening today. I'm happy to take any questions or discussion points from you all. Wonderful job, Acadia and Yuan. You, you both did a really great job presenting uh, this intervention. It's so interesting. Um, I've I've mentioned to both of you before, but I I work a little bit with uh with kiddos with autism spectrum as well. So this is just very interesting to me. Um, again, to our participants, if you have any questions for Dr. Gray and Dr. Bureau, you're more than welcome to type them in the Q and A session, and we'd be happy to answer them uh, for you. Um, and while we wait for some questions to pile on, I have a few myself. Uh, the first one that I'd like to ask is um. Who were teaching these uh, lessons to the adolescents in the study? Was it was it you guys as the researchers? Did you train somebody else to do it? And then, as a follow up to that, you know, are there resources available for nutrition educators to implement balance um, in their own communities? Okay, so um, for the first part of your question, um, I was um, implementing the intervention and I was facilitating with the adolescents. Um, I had previously worked with um, teachers in the school-based study, so I was also the one doing it there. Um, there were plans to involve additional facilitators, but like I mentioned, this was conducted in fall 2020 during the COVID pandemic. So <laughs> um, I was I was leading and, and the group size ranged two to seven, so it went okay. Um, I did end up getting um, an, a certification, you know, as part of this um, journey um, as a certified autism specialist and definitely had a lot of experience through these pilot studies, um, you know, uh, learning and, um, learning from the participants and the teachers and parents and all of that. Um, something I will mention is that um, I mentioned that 96%, I think, of them had high social communication skills. So um, I don't know if there had been um, additional facilitators or addi additional um, assistance online, if that might have helped. There were two participants who um, uh, scored lower with the social communication um, skills and they participated in lesson one and then they both dropped out after lesson one and their parents had sort of cited their um, challenging behaviors as a reason for dropping out of the intervention so um, maybe sort of like I said um, further investigating what accommodations might be helpful but um, something might include having additional facilitators or assistance um, would be helpful uh, and then in terms of disseminating these materials as I mentioned there's still um Unfortunately, unfortunately, more work to do with um, just gathering um, the evidence base for this intervention, um, refining it, um, and like I said, always just kind of learning more from the participants and everyone to make sure that it um, is really meeting the, the needs and preferences of the participants and that it is actually effective. So um, hopefully, in the, hopefully in the future, there will be materials to share. As I like to tell people about the curriculum that I developed for my PhD, stay tuned. <laughs> so great. That's awesome. Uh, while we're waiting for more questions, another one that, that I'd like to ask is, you know, you mentioned that this pilot intervention happened during fall 2020, during COVID. We all know what happened then. Um, but I was wondering if you wanted to comment on any of the unique challenges or, or um uh, you know, um, difficulties that you may have had while conducting that intervention during such a 
uh, unprecedented time. Yeah, it was, it, it was like, you know, it was a 2020. So some of it's kind of a blur now. But I know one thing is I mentioned that the group size range two to seven. And, you know, of course, going into the study, there's sort of like um, what you like the perfect way you want it to turn out. Um, and so two to seven is quite a large range, but um, that's because it was really kind of scheduled on participant availability and just trying to work with everyone's schedule. Um, yeah, I remember, you know, like, it, I mean, they were like either at home or going to school or doing online school. So they had a lot of things going on in their lives and the parents too. Um, another challenge that is coming up as I'm saying that is um, the parent webinars, um, just it was really hard to get attendance for those and it kind of like dropped from one to two to three and there was feedback um that maybe in the future like asynchronous shorter videos would be better for them to watch because parents are really busy in general but especially during fall 2020 there were just a lot of things and a lot of changes in everyone's lives um going on um so yeah i think a lot of challenges with just scheduling and having to be adaptive and flexible I don't know anything, Dr. Gray, that you can think of for this or the previous question um, that I didn't quite get. Um, I have comments for the previous questions first um, the, related to the training uh, component, training the providers. I think that's a really important point that uh, training the nutrition educators or the providers who are already working with the uh, adolescent with autism. I think that that would be a key point for the dissemination phase uh, eventually. And I wonder, I mean, if anybody's interested in just knowing the component or the uh, some of the materials that Acadia developed, I think that privately we can provide some of the information, even though it's not publicly available. Yeah, kind of going off of that, the other thing that I'm curious about, um, and again, if anyone else has any questions, feel free to put them in the Q&A. Obviously, I'm interested enough to keep the conversation rolling here. Um, but one thing that I'm interested about is, you know, what are some of the things that you learned from working with this specific population, both in this pilot study and in your school-based study, um, unique to, to kiddos with autism spectrum disorder that you think would be worthwhile sharing with nutrition educators who may have worked with youth and adolescents, but maybe not with this particular population? Well, um, something that comes to mind first is just how heterogeneous this population is. And so I think that's kind of a challenge in research and practice. Like I see it a lot with measurement, um, you know, when you try to I, use something like in this study, the autism behavior inventory short form to kind of quickly capture those sy symptoms for each participant. But um, I don't know, even I think um, as we're seeing with the just growth and awareness of autism, um, like Dr. Gray highlighted on that slide of how like those numbers are just really increasing. So it's just there's always a learning process, I think. And everyone um, in research practice, everyday life is just learning more. Um, but I think that heterogeneity um, contributes to challenges, but also a lot of learning. Um, I don't know, Dr. Gray, anything else um, that you can think of? I can, that's what's initially coming to mind. I think that's great. I think that's something that we, uh, as a professional, need some training component too. There are more people diagnosed with autism, uh, as you saw, I have the, the intervention for earlier uh, age groups. So earlier intervention may kind of help uh, parents to 
really understand what their uh, children's feeding challenges are. But there are also a growing number of uh, adolescents who already have the diagnosis but didn't really improve their dietary behaviors. So I think that is really uh, good to kind of share the information together and then some training opportunity for nutrition educators uh, who maybe didn't uh, have opportunity to work with this population would be great. Another thing is that I was surprised to see uh, from one of the qualitative uh, quotes that Acadia collected uh, indicating that children with ASD or the adolescent with autism, they also like to have a social component, even though they're lacking in terms of interacting, uh, interacting uh, with one another or the communication is lacking, but still they want to have more social interactions and really enjoy the fact that they have a group of people uh, within the same um, the session. So that, that was kind of surprising to see that they really liked and then enjoy those uh, interactions. Great, thank you for that insight. Um, so we got one question in the chat. And so um, this attendee said, great study. Thank you for this very informational. Were the 45 minute intervention set sessions adequate for the children or perhaps too long to keep their concentration or attention throughout the eight sessions of the pilot study? That's a great question. So um, the I think that it was initially one hour in the school-based setting and then reduced to 45 um, for sort of that that thinking. Um, I don't have, you know, based off memory or right in front of me now, but I know that the act, it was supposed to, it was written to be 45 minutes, but it ranged. Um, so for the groups that only had, the group that only had two participants, the sessions were shorter than the groups with seven participants. Um, so it did range. Um, like I mentioned with the heterogeneity, you know, I think there is one participant coming to mind who really had challenges sort of just sitting still and staying focused for the whole session, um, especially, you know, because it was um, in the afternoons or evenings after daylight savings, it was after their school and homework time. So um, I think that was a challenge. Um, but for most participants, there was really positive feedback. And again, this was a very unique time during COVID. And I think it was really well received by most of them to sort of have this time where um, they could sign on on their own. They felt very independent. They could engage with others and have this productive activity. They were learning new things. So I think for most, it was really well received. Um, but like I said, it wasn't um, for, you know, 45 minutes on the dot every time that did vary. But I think certainly um, for the younger, uh, we had a wide age range, 12 to 20. Um, and then, you know, just maybe just depending on individual differences, it can be difficult um, to stay engaged for that long. Great. Um, any other questions from our attendees? All right, we're seeing some nice jobs in the chat. I definitely agree with that. All right, well, seeing no further questions, um, I guess we can pass it over to Paul and he can give some uh, closing information uh, on the webinar. Thanks, Jeb. Uh, and thank you, uh, both Dr. Burrow and Dr. Gray uh, for being here and sharing with us today. Uh, just a few reminders as we close out. 
Uh, again, please complete that survey that you will receive when the session ends. We do appreciate your feedback. Be on the lookout for an email with today's recording, handouts, and your CEU certificate. Uh, and if you enjoyed today's webinar, be sure to check out the upcoming webinar section of the website. Uh, Journal Club continues next Monday. Uh, and just some ongoing SNEB reminders. Uh, abstract deadline submission. So if you want to submit an abstract for our upcoming conference at the end of July in Knoxville, that deadline is March 1st, uh, along with the deadline for uh, nominating uh, members of the organization for awards. Uh, with that being said, that concludes today's session. Uh, thank you all for joining us and have a great day.